Hey guys, so good to be able to minister God's word to you today. My name is Di Hankey and uh, I'm a pastor from South Wales. And Mike's given me a free hit. I can talk about whatever I want today, apparently. So um, I'm going to talk about something which I'm really excited about. Um, but I've only been excited about it for about a week. <laughs> Last week, I was doing a Bible study with a friend of mine. And uh, we got to Psalm 36. We're working through the Psalms together. And there was just some stuff in Psalm 36 that it blew my mind. It blessed my heart. And it made me think, man, I want to I wanna meditate on that a bit more. I want to dwell on that more. And then... I realized, well, Mike's given me a free hit. Why don't I get to dig into it on behalf of you guys? So I've just got excited about this text this week. And I'm really hoping that um, by the end of this sermon, you'll be excited about this text as well. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 36. Okay, Psalm 36. I'll read the whole Psalm. It's not a really long one. And then I'll just, uh, I'll just rant for a bit. <laughs> That's probably what I'll do. So... Let's uh, have a look at Psalm 36 together. For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you, is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. This is a great psalm and the psalmist starts off in verses 1 to 4. Um, seemingly at the beginning of the psalm, concerned or at least preoccupied with the wicked. He starts off by saying, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. He, he describes them as having no fear of God before their eyes. And in their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. Uh, David is saying that these guys, their eyes are fixed on the wrong thing. And because their eyes are fixed wrongly, that has led to a way of life which is, well, it may look at the beginning of the psalm at least like they're able to live as they please and to do as they please. And there doesn't seem to be any great deal of judgment for them to worry about uh, in the first four verses. Although by the end of the psalm, we see that the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to, um, to, to rise. But I want you to, to note something firstly in this psalm. What, what David wants to do is he wants to challenge us about where we are fixing our eyes. 
These wicked have no fear of God before their eyes, and in their own eyes they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. They don't see God properly, they don't see themselves properly, and the result is a life which is, um, they act um, wickedly or they fail to act wisely or to do good. Even on their beds they plot evil and they commit themselves to a sinful course and they do not reject what is wrong. So because there's no fear of God before their eyes and because their eyes um, upon themselves are flattering to deceive, that has led to a life where they are acting wrongly, they are thinking wrongly and it's not a life which we are going to see in just a minute is a life that we would want to emulate. In fact, this life is not only sinful, it's small, it's shriveled, it's it's insubstantial and ultimately it leads to destruction. And I wonder before I get into the rest of the psalm where David encourages us where to fix our eyes, I want to ask you, what have you been focusing on recently? Do you see God right? How do you see yourself in the light of, um, of God and in the light of who God says um, he is and who God says that you are? It, do you fear God? And do you judge yourself accordingly? I love in verse 5 that David, it's like this kind of crazy, almost like handbrake turn. First of all, he's fixated on these wicked people that he sees have no regard for God and whose lives are lives of um, evil and lives are on the wrong trajectory. He sees them on their beds plotting evil. But as you picture these sinful people on their beds plotting evil, all of a sudden it's almost like David throws his curtains open in the middle of the night sticks his head out the window and all of a sudden he's reminded that there is a God of epic scale and epic size who we should be fixated on and who we should be thinking about because David says um, in verse 5 all of a sudden your love Lord reaches to the heavens all of a sudden he's not thinking about this this wicked person on their bed plotting evil. He's lifted his eyes, he's lifted his mind, and he's lifted his heart to the God whose love reaches to the heavens. The heavens being uh, the stars, being the starry host. If you've ever been on a camping trip and opened your tent in the middle of the night to go across a campsite for a wee or something, and uh, you know it's one of those very rare British nights where there's no clouds, and you look up and there's no street lights to ruin it, and there's no car lights, and there's no shop lights. It's just the stars. You are, your breath is taken away. And David wants to take our breath away today with something. And firstly, and this whole sermon, this whole rant, whatever you want to call what I'm about to do, this is all about God's love. And I want you to to have your breath taken away by the scale of God's love. Um, The first thing that I want to look at is that God's saving love is great. So be in awe. Rather than settling for a shriveled, small, insubstantial or unsubstantial life where you live for yourself and where there's no fear of God, I want to encourage you today to lift your eyes to the stars, to the heavens, and to let that be the gauge, the epic gauge by which you can discern something incredible about God. And that is this, that God loves you that much. God literally loves you, not just to the moon and back, 
but to the heavens and back. We don't even know how big the heavens are. We don't know how big the universe is. We just know that there's way more heavens than we have ever explored, than we could ever explore. That's the whole point. David is giving us um, a gauge by which we can literally judge the love of God for sinners like you and me. Guys, God loves us to the stars and back. He has a love for us which is huge, epic in scale. He repeats it again in Psalm 103 when he says um, about as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for those who fear you. Do you know that you are loved? Do you see the scale and the size of God's love for you? He goes on to say, your faithfulness uh, reaches to the skies. So often, love, God's love and his faithfulness are almost like couplets in, uh, in Old Testament scripture. Literally, uh, love being chesed, God's covenant love, unbreakable love, and his emet, his, his faithfulness, that God's love and God is faithfully loving. He loves us to the, to the stars and back, and he's not going to stop loving us to the stars and back. Your love reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Again, uh, David is using physical, um, geographical markers to help us to understand something about how supreme and awesome and unlike us God is, that his righteousness is like the highest mountains, his righteousness is like Everest. And his justice like the great deep. So no, no sooner have we lifted our eyes to the heavens and then lifted our, our eyes to these huge mountains, these great peaks that reveal God's love, his faithfulness, his righteousness. Now we're zooming down into the oceans and into the depths of the sea that we can never even get to. And, God is, and, and the David is saying that's what God's justice is like. And it's meant to take our breath away. That we have a God of epic scale and epic size. And it's good for us to remember that that is who God is and what God is like. Because in a time like we're in right now, where there's a pandemic, in a time like we're in right now, where there are huge questions uh, that are are concerning us, in a time like this right now, where many, many things seem to be overwhelming for us, David says, if you want to be overwhelmed by anything, be overwhelmed by the love of God. Be overwhelmed by the faithfulness of God. Be overwhelmed by his character, by his righteousness and by his justice. There is a God who is bigger than COVID, who is bigger than politics, who is bigger than the 21st century, who is bigger than family breakdowns, family problems, money problems, who is bigger than personal problems, social problems, who is bigger than anything that could face us right now. God is huge and his love for us is huge. And David I love the fact that he says, look, there, is, there are wicked people all around us, but they're living in a way which is just small and shriveled and it's not really living. There is a love for us to get our heads around today, my friends. Even right now, say a prayer in your heart and say, God, if you literally, if this isn't just like words, um, like to sort of like... Um, lull us into some sort of like false sense of like, you know, or or to help us to feel better about ourselves. If there's some truth in this, then say a little prayer and say, God, make this true. Make me believe this is true. Do you love me that much? Because that's a huge love, guys. There's a huge love that God wants us to understand. There's a huge love that God wants us to receive. 
So my first point is simply this. God's saving love is great. Be in all. Why do I say God's saving love? Well, because randomly, <laughs> it's a little bit random. I ain't going to lie to you. I find this a little bit random, but it's in the Bible, so I just got to preach it. So he says, your love reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. And he says, you, Lord, preserve both people and animals. That word preserve can mean deliver or it can mean save. It means that God saves people and he saves animals. That doesn't mean that he saves animals like, you know, my dog Jasper, who I love, is going to be in heaven with me. I don't think it means that. I don't think it's a kind of a salvation on that level. But our God is a God who saves. He is a God who delivers. He delights to deliver all through the Psalms, all through the scriptures. We see that God is a God who uses his power to save and certainly we should allow that truth to sink deep into our hearts, that we have a God who loves us so much. And that's why he saves us. You know, if you're a Christian um, listening to this right now, God didn't save you because you're good. He didn't. He saves you because he loves you, because he's good. He didn't save you because of what's in you. He saved you because of what's in him. And if right now you're really struggling to believe that God could possibly love you, let alone want to save you, can I encourage you? Don't, don't um, stake all of your kind of like, all of your hope on the fact that God might love you because you're an all right person or because of anything in you. No offense, I'm sure you're lovely. Um, but it's not you that makes God want to save you. It's God who makes God want to save you. He loves you so much. And we're going to see how he proves that love to us in just a minute. So God's saving love is great. Be in awe. Ask God to take your breath away today. Secondly, we're going to see uh, in the following verses that God's unfailing love is priceless. So be satisfied. And just so you know, this is the bit that I got really excited about. So with your permission, I'm going to get excited now about um, verse 7 eight and nine. Check this out. David has spoken about the Lord um, and about just how the epic scale and size of who he is and how much he loves us and how faithful he is. And in verse seven, he says this to the Lord, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. My goodness, we just see not just that God's love is epic in scale, we don't just see the the breadth of God's love, we see here the depth of God's love. We see what God's love looks like worked out in real life for real people. David says, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. I mean, I could just preach for the rest of the sermon just on that one phrase. God's love is priceless. You cannot put a price on this kind of love. And not only is it priceless, but it is unfailing. God's love will not fail. You will fail. I will fail. We will fail. He will not fail. His love will not fail. That famous love passage in 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that God's love never fails. It never dies. It never ends. You cannot beat God's love. It is indestructible. How priceless is your indestructible love, your unfailing love, oh God. And then David starts to help us see what that love worked out looks like. 
He says, People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. God's love is a love that becomes homely. It's a love that provides protection. It's a love which is literally the only safe place that we truly have. People come to this love and they find refuge in the shadow of his wings. Not only do they, is, is it a love which provides protection, it's a love which provides um, sustenance. Uh, David says, they feast in the abundance of your house. This is a love which provides sustenance for his people. You give them drink from your river of delights. What even is that river of delights? I don't know, but I want to know. Like, if you were going to go swimming anywhere, I miss swimming right now because of COVID. I can't go to the swimming pool. I can't travel very far. Haven't got any rivers that uh, you know I can swim in anywhere near me where I'm not going to die of pollution. Like, but I, if 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 I could dive in any river right now, I would choose the river of delights. Which river would you choose? Surely there's no better river to dive into and swim in and drink from than God's river of delights. But there is a river of delights that we're told to drink from. And then verse nine: For with you is the fountain of life. There's a fountain which literally, as you drink from it, it gives life. And in your light, the psalmist says, we see light. So these are great thoughts. I mean, you could just spend time dwelling on these and thinking about these, but I want to help us to dig deep into this passage and to work out, well, how? How do I go swimming in that river? How do I drink of that river? How do I munch on the abundance uh, of, of this feast? How do I take refuge in the shadow of those wings? How do I see light by, by this light? Where's this fountain at? Well, I want us to work backwards because I'm a backwards kind of guy. I'm a valley boy. That's what we're like. Just from verse 9, then 8, then 7. Work backwards with me and learn and see that actually all of these beautiful things that are available to us from God are available to us in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is all of these things. And so how we can enjoy all these things is by coming to Jesus and trusting Jesus. In fact, we're going to see that the epic love of God is most fully, most beautifully made known to us in Jesus. In fact, this sermon, even though it's based on a passage that was written a thousand years before Jesus, is all about Jesus. And I'm excited about Jesus. Let me show you why. So verse 9, in your light, we see light. Well, what is the light that enables us to see light? Well, Jesus said in John chapter, sorry, uh, in, in John chapter 1 verse 9 rather, we're told uh, by John that Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone who is, coming into the, uh, who, who is coming into the world. That's who Jesus was and that's who Jesus is, the true light. He said it himself, I am the light of the world. He is the light by which we see light. He is the light by which we see everything in its proper context. He is the light that helps us to make sense of everything in this world. If you want light, if you want revelation, if you want illumination, if you want to know what to, how, how to see yourself, how to see God, how to see this world, come to Jesus who is the light and by him you will see everything. We're told also in verse 9 that for with you is the fountain of delights. Well, Jesus, when he met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, I don't know if you remember that story, that encounter. He meets this woman who has lived a, well, a life of ill repute and her life is, is very much broken and she is, 
in a really difficult and dark place. Jesus gets chatting to her and he says these words to her. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, pointing at the well where he met her. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus said that he will give us water which will well up in us um, to eternal life, a spring of water that wells up to eternal life. How do we find this fountain? We come to Jesus. We drink of Jesus. We drink of his life-giving spring and we will have eternal life. Now check this bit out, verse 8. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. I wonder, how does that point us to Jesus when in John chapter 6 Jesus has just fed 5,000 people miraculously and then shortly after just the next day people start chasing him and following him wanting more from him sort of treating him like a bit like a kind of uh, a divine vending machine really and Jesus basically tells them you're gonna have to like you know I, I know what you're after. You want more of the bread and fish thing, but actually what you really need is you, you, you need me. And so you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, it's a pretty full on passage. You should read it. It's, a, it's, a, it's intense. But um, he says in verse 35, he describes himself this way. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So if you want to, feast on the goodness of God and if you want to drink of the river of delights or if you want to drink of the goodness of God you come to Jesus and he says I am bread I am life I am sustenance my blood is how you will um, be, be be made clean drink from me you will never thirst ever again so if you're not satisfied right now if you're hungry for something more you're saying is there more in this life and you haven't come to Jesus I want to say to you the reason that you're hungry is because you haven't sunk your spiritual gnashes into Jesus he literally wants us to feast on him to gorge ourselves on his gospel to just get stuck in to the delights of who he is and what he's done for us there is so much satisfaction to be found in Jesus have you come to him? And then finally, people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. What, how do we come to Jesus from that scripture? Well, do you remember that, that uh, passage in Matthew 11 when Jesus um, uh, come, uh, says, he gives that beautiful invitation to the crowd. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You'll find that in Matthew 11, verses 29 to 30, and I encourage you to find that verse because I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted right now. COVID has sucked my energy. I, I, I find I'm generally, this last year has been the hardest year of my life in so many ways, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I am exhausted. And so when I read words on a page that say, people take refuge in the shadow of your wings, 
I want that to be more than just random words on a page. I want that to be a truth that can literally be a breathing place for me, a place where I can breathe out, where I can exhale all of the stress and all of the strain, where I can unburden and unload. I can put my feet up and know that I'm gonna be safe. And can I say to you guys, this is literally what Jesus invites us into. He is the light by which everything else makes sense. He is the fountain of life, the one who literally gives us eternal life when we just stick our heads into those waters and drink deep of his grace. He is, he is the feast, the banquet rather, upon which we can feast. He is the refuge in whom which we can find safety and comfort and rest. No wonder David would say, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. Well, how can we say his love is priceless? Well, it's priceless because you could never buy those things. You could never earn those things. There's nothing in those things that you or, that you or I could ever um, deserve or ever acquire in and of ourselves. We don't have what it takes to have this kind of life, to have this kind of grace, to have this kind of rest, to have this kind of light available to us. It's priceless because it's worth more than anything. It's the greatest gift. And yet it also came at a price. You were bought with a price, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. That price was the cross of Jesus Christ. How do we know that God's love reaches to the heavens? Because God in his kindness came down from heaven to earth to live the life that we never could have lived, to, to be faithful to his world because we were faithless to him. And on that cross, to demonstrate, or to, 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 to live a life rather, where that mountain peak of righteousness was clear for all to see, a life that we never could have lived, and on that cross, to plumb the depths of, just, of God's justice, to pay the just penalty for our sin on that cross. My friends, I want you to see the cross of Jesus in fresh ways today. I want you to see that when in Romans 5.8, Paul writes, God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see that God's love was literally put on display on that cross. Yes, the heavens declare the breadth of God's love. The cross screams at us and shows us the depth of God's love. We are loved radically, cosmically by God. These aren't just words on a page. These are truths that found their substance in the person of Jesus Christ. And on that cross, we see the love of God raised up for all of us to never be in any doubt ever again. Am I loved? Are we loved? Yes, we are. Radically, compellingly, unfailingly. Jesus loves us so much he died for us. So that's why that second point on my little list there for us today was God's unfailing love is priceless. Be satisfied. Even today, say, God, take me deeper into the mystery of the cross. Take me deeper into a relationship with Jesus. I want him more and what he's done to captivate me more. 
thrill me with this gospel again and be satisfied. Satisfaction is only found in Christ and what he's done for us. But the last thing I want to share, and it's a much quicker point, just to end the psalm. David again for the third time references God's love. He says in verse 10, continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. My first point was God's saving love is great, so be in awe. My second point was God's unfailing love is priceless, so be satisfied. My third point is this, God's enduring love is necessary, so be prayerful and thankful. It just struck me as an interesting question. If God's love is unfailing and David can say that it's unfailing, why then would he say, or rather, why, would he, why then would he feel the need to say, so continue your love to those who know you? If God's love is unfailing, surely it will continue. But this is the point. God's love is unfailing and yet we are fickle. We are fickle. I just want us to go back to some of those um, principles and thoughts again. So we, we see, don't we, in verse 9 that Jesus is the light. And yet we're told in John 1 verse, uh, verse 9 that men love darkness instead of light. People resisted the light. They turned their back on the light. We're told that with you is the fountain of delights, and yet Jeremiah 2 has these chilling words in verse 12 and 13 where um, Jeremiah writes, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So Jesus says, I'm the fountain of life. I can give you the water that wells up to eternal life. And yet Jeremiah knew that God's people were quick to forsake the fountain of life and to, and to go looking for that satisfaction and for that life elsewhere. And don't think that we can't do those same things. Even now, I'm sure that some of you listening to this, even this week, certainly in the last year, you will have dug broken cisterns and chosen them over the fountain of Christ. So that's why we need to pray this. Um, furthermore, when um, we, 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 we remember that Jesus saying, you know, that he is the bread of life and that whoever comes to him will uh, never go hungry and whoever believes in him will never be thirsty. We see that shortly after that, Everyone turned their back on him. They said, this is a hard saying. Like we, who, who can accept it? This is, this is hard to get our heads around. And by the end of John, chapter, um, of John chapter 6, despite Jesus saying, you know, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, they left him. Because we, we find these things hard and, and we can turn our back on him so quickly. And when we read, People take refuge in the shadow of your wings and we hear Jesus' beautiful um, offer. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm reminded of um, when Jesus just laments outside Jerusalem. All those who, he says, you know, how I would gather you under my, uh, under my wings, but you wouldn't let me. It's so sad that we are like this, that we are resistant to God's love. How could we be resistant to God's love? How could we ever turn our back on Jesus? How could we ever settle for anything less than Jesus? How could anything other than his cross captivate us? And yet it does. 
We go to all the wrong places for fulfillment. We go to all the wrong places for life. We go to all the wrong places to try and make sense of our lives and other people's lives. That's why David says, continue your love to those who know you, because we need that love. His love is our only hope. Guys, the purpose of this sermon isn't to say to you that you need to love God better. I guess the purpose of the sermon is to say you need, you need God's love to captivate you and to keep you and ask that God would help you to love because he first loved you and to love him as an overflow of your, of your awareness of and your gratitude for his great love for you. The gospel isn't you need to be better at loving God. The gospel really, and it really resonates with, with wrecked up sinners like me when I realise that the gospel is actually, look how much God loves you. How could you not love him in return? We see it in Christ, we see it in this cross, but we need God to graciously continue to keep showing us that. One final scripture, just to encourage you as I end this sermon. <laughs> Man, I read these words, I'm both, I'm thrilled and I'm convicted all at the same time. I love what I read. I love this just incredible gospel that I see revealed in those scriptures and yet my love feels so small, so fickle and so cold and I don't want my, my life to be small and shriveled like the wicked who bookend this psalm. I don't want to live for myself, live with no fear of God before my eyes. I, I want my breath to be taken away by the love of God but there are days where my, my love is cold and if you're honest, there are days in your life where your love is cold too. What hope is there for us? Well, I would encourage you maybe later today or sometime in, in, the, in the coming week, read Romans chapter 8. An absolute banger of a scripture that tells us just how epic God's love and God's grace to us is. But it closes with these words. Paul writes in Romans 8 verses 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, if you're in him, then you're going to be okay. If you're in him, nothing can separate you from God's love. That epic love, that love which literally stretches to the heavens, that love which literally stooped down and took that cross, nothing can separate us from that. COVID can't separate us from that. Trouble and trials can't separate us from that. Job insecurity, financial woes, relationship strife, broken hearts, none of these things can separate us from God's love. So let's ask God in his kindness to help us to see that his saving love is great. May we be in awe of it. To see his unfailing love is priceless. May we be satisfied in that and nothing less. And that God's enduring love is necessary. So let's be prayerful and thankful. Let me close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for the words that we've looked at in this psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a compelling psalm. I feel like I really would have loved to have done more justice to it. Um, I, there's so many more things I could have said, I would have loved to have said, and I would love to be with these brothers and sisters in person, but I can't be. 
So grateful that your Holy Spirit can take these words and apply them right there in Manchester. Do that, Lord. Take these truths and apply them to every life, every heart listening. Lord, wow us with your love, I pray. Forgive us for the times we have settled for anything or anyone other than Christ. We're grateful for his, for his death. We're grateful for his burial. We're grateful for his resurrection. And we are crying out for his coming again. But until that day, Lord, keep us in that love for his glory and our joy. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. I've loved ranting Psalm 36 uh, for you. I pray God's blessing upon you and your church this week and ongoingly. Take care.